0: hi everybody you're listening to a strange one-person version of Ouija broads where I'm not going to cover a whole topic I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about where we are right now specifically that for one Steven and I could not get our schedules to align for love or money and we went hey actually what a good time to take a week off because when people say what would you do differently if you were starting a podcast and i would say i would not commit to a weekly release schedule but that said i have stuff for you i'm not just gonna let you go hungry this monday we have actually done the math we have released 56 episodes in the past 11 months 56. so i'm proud of us And I wanted to tell you, in case you're like, I haven't heard 56 episodes, here's where they all are. We have, right up on the main feed, I believe at this point, 42 normal episodes plus one guest episode where I let Matt tell me about Mario, and that was pretty fun. You should go check that out if you haven't gotten to listen to it yet. Very different vibe than I have with Devin, and editing it was hilarious to me because, like, they get along super well. And I get along super well with both of them, obviously, but I just sound so different to myself on that one. I think partly it's cause we were sitting on my bed to tape it, so I really wanted to lie down and go to sleep. So my energy is a little sorta, of, yeah, that's cool, neat. So let's see, 42 regular episodes and one special episode up on the main feed. And most of the rest of them are on the Patreon. In fact, all of them, but they're not all paywalled. So we have what's kind of a lost episode. It had the glitches that made us never, ever, ever want to use Zencaster again. Not that I'm bitter, but Devin did such a good job with it that I didn't want it to just kind of go into the trash can. It was too beautiful for that. So it's her coverage of the Stanley Hotel, which is the Colorado Hotel in Estes Park that inspired Stephen King's The Shining. Definitely worth checking out. I recommend it. Just bop over to the Patreon. You don't have to have a login. If you do have a login or you want to become a patron, that's where we've got some other content. So far we have four episodes of the Sants where we talk about having our auras read, we talk about three northwestern women who survived, we talk about... I've already forgotten... What do we talk about? Oh, we talk about the Spokane street hotel murders and we talk about... well we don't talk about, we just do play the Oregon Trail old-school version, and it's a blast. It's ridiculous. It's very fun. So maybe just come and join us for five bucks for one month and and catch up on that stuff. That's also where we put the first few episodes we did because I listen to them now, and I'm like, what did you do? I, I swear I found the most echoey space possible to tape in, and then I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm pretty sure I made it worse. Anyway, that's where all that is plus more content in terms of as we work on the book we're sharing snippets we're sharing drafts of images that we want to put in there just a good place if you're like hmm I need I need more I want DVD extras I want behind the scenes I want this kind of stuff the patreon is a good place for that we We'll be coming back for season two next week. Season two will be slightly different. We're having some conversations about how to make sure that this is sustainable as we move on. Because we just jumped in, you know, full on. We didn't know what we were doing. We just said, hell, let's make a podcast. And we did. And it has been so satisfying. It has been so rewarding, so good to be able to talk to Devin all the time. It's also a lot of work, a lot of work that I didn't realize and I'm thinking about how to keep all the best parts and not burn myself out on the rest because I also do the editing for the show, a lot of the website management and stuff like that and I have a real tendency to fall down rabbit holes, which is fun. But I already have a full-time job and I'm an academic and that's notoriously not the most relaxed clock in clock out call a week after 30 hours gig i'm actually on two grants right now as well as finishing my phd so we may have to take a week off in there someplace too for me to go defend that thing touch wood but season two is going to be very good we're gonna change up the theme song because i've learned a little bit about copyright law since we picked our last one which i don't want to get rid of it but i think you'll like the new one too We are probably going to be doing some more two-parters, as that will kind of help out with the sustainability thing a bit, and also let us dive a little deeper on some really interesting topics, and we'll see kind of what else ends up being where we go. That's basically all I wanted to cover for you, just to check in on Monday and let you know we're not going anywhere, we're not losing interest in the show, we're just trying to regroup a little bit, and we'll be coming back strong you can always check in and see what we're doing on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our proprietary website at OuijaBroads.com. Just look for OuijaBroads. If, if we're there, you'll find us. Just don't let Google autocorrect it to Ouija because that's not what we are or what we're about. I know you don't even need me to tell you to live weird, die weird, and stay weird. But I have a little treat if you want to hang out. As I've been learning about copyright law, I did figure out the book that Devin discusses in her Stanley Hotel episode is actually public domain, which means that I could read it for free. So if you are ready to call it a day, goodbye. I'll see you next week. And if you want to hang out, I'm going to read you some stuff from Isabella Bird about her dear Desperado. I must attempt to put down the trifling events of each day just as they occur. The second time that I was left alone, Mr. Nugent came in looking very black, and asked me to ride with him to see the beaver dams on the Black Canyon, no more whistling or singing or talking to his beautiful mare or sparkling repartee. His mood was as dark as the sky overhead, which was black with an impending snowstorm. He was quite silent, struck his horse often, started off on a furious gallop, and then throwing his mare on her haunches close to me, said, You're the first man or woman who's treated me like a human being for many a year. So he said this in his dark mood, but Mr. and Mrs. Dewey, who took a very deep interest in his welfare, always treated him as a rational, intelligent gentleman, and in his better moments he spoke of them with the warmest appreciation. If you want to know, he continued, how nearly a man can become a devil, I'll tell you now. There was no choice, and we rode up the canyon and I listened to one of the darkest tales of ruin I have ever heard or read. Its early features were very simple. His father was a British officer quartered at Montreal of a good old Irish family. From his account, he was an ungovernable boy, imperfectly educated and tyrannizing over a loving but weak mother. When seventeen years old, he saw a young girl at church whose appearance he described as being of angelic beauty and fell in love with her with all the intensity of an uncontrolled nature he saw her three times, but scarcely spoke to her. On his mother opposing his wish and treating it as a boyish folly, he took to drink to spite her, and almost as soon as he was eighteen, maddened by the girl's death, he ran away from home, entered the service of the Hudson Bay Company, and remained in it for several years, only leaving it because he found even that lawless life too strict for him. Then, being as I suppose about twenty-seven, he entered the service of the United States Government, and became one of the famous Indian scouts of the plains, distinguishing himself by some of the most daring deeds on record, and some of the bloodiest crimes. Some of these tales I've heard before, but never so terribly told. Years must have passed in that service, till he became a character known through all the West, and much dreaded for his readiness to take offense, and his equal readiness with his revolver. Vain, even in his dark mood, He told me that he was idolized by women, and that in his worst hours he was always chivalrous to good women. He described himself as riding through camps in his scout's dress, with a red scarf round his waist and sixteen gold curls eighteen inches long hanging over his shoulders. The handsome, even superbly handsome, side of his face was towards me as he spoke. As a scout, and as an armed escort of emigrant parties, he was evidently implicated in all the blood and broil of a lawless region and period, and went from bad to worse, varying his life by drunken sprees, which brought nothing but violence and loss. The narrative seemed to lack some link, for I next found him on a homestead in Missouri, from whence he came to Colorado a few years ago. There again something was dropped out, but I suspect, and not without reason, that he joined one or more of those gangs of border ruffians, which for so long raided through Kansas, perpetrating such massacres and outrages as that of the Marais du scene. His fame for violence and ruffianism preceded him into Colorado, where his knowledge of and love of the mountains have earned him the sobriquet he now bears. He has a squatter's claim and forty head of cattle, and is a successful trapper besides, but envy and vindictiveness are raging within him. He gets money, goes to Denver, and spends large sums in the maddest dissipation, making himself a terror, and going beyond even such desperados as Texas Jack and Wild Bill, and when the money is done, returns to his mountain den, full of hatred and self-score until the next time. Of course, I cannot give details. The story took three hours to tell, and was crowded with terrific illustrations of a desperado's career, told with a rush of wild eloquence that was truly thrilling. When the snow, which for some time had been falling, compelled him to break off and guide me to a sheltered place from which I could make my own way back again, he stopped his horse and said, Now you see a man who has made a devil of himself. Lost, lost, lost. I believe in God. I've given him no choice but to put me with the devil and his angel. I'm afraid to die. You've stirred the better nature in me too late. I can't change. If ever a man were a slave, I am. Don't speak to me of repentance and reformation. I can't reform. Your voice reminded me of... Here they do the 19th century thing where there's just a dash to indicate the name's been blocked out. Then in feverish tones... "'How dare you ride with me? "'You won't speak to me again, will you?' "'He made me promise to keep one or two things secret, "'whether he were living or dead, "'and I promised, for I had no choice, "'for they come between me and the sunshine sometimes, "'and I wake at night to think of them. "'I wish I had been spared the regret "'and excitement of that afternoon. "'A less ungovernable nature "'would never have spoken as he did, "'nor told me what he did, "'but his proud, fierce soul "'all poured itself out then,' with hatred and self-loathing, blood on his hands and murder in his heart, though even then he could not be altogether other than a gentleman, or altogether divest himself of fascination, even when so tempestuously revealing the darkest points of his character. My soul dissolved in pity for his dark, lost, self-ruined life as he left me and turned away in the blinding storm to the snowy range where he said he was going to camp out for a fortnight, a man of great abilities, real genius, singular gifts, and with all the chances in life which other men have had. All right, squad, we'll be back with you next week. Live weird, die weird, stay weird. I'm a seven, too.